Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Ball loose. Give me one, Lance. Give me one, Lance. Stevenson ties it with 1.6. Duarte, he knows where the clock is, lets it fly and hits again. Halliburton at the buzzer. Captain Kutch with another one. Brogdon goes inside and Turner finishes. Halliburton leaves it off for Batase. Go, go. Good job. Oh, what a move by Heald. He lays it in. Heald. Hotter than fish grease. Drops it off to Jalen Smith with the poster. Jackson the catch. Jackson the basket. Washington again. Five of them. Pacers got the steal. Out running is Brissett. Outs it all. It's it to Taylor. Taylor missed it. Tips it in. Warren lets it fly. Yes! T.J. Warren is not human. Halliburton going to slam it at the other end. Hey, everybody. What's going on? Welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace. I'm joined today by my lovely co-host, Michael is. J. Focci. Focci, what's going on, brother? Oh, I knew it was only a matter of time before I was called lovely again. I just can't seem to escape it. But, man, I'm back to talk Pacer basketball. Nothing better out there. So we have a fun episode for you guys today. Alex, tell us what's going down today. Yeah, Evan Sider from BasketballNews.com is going to be joining us to talk about DeAndre Ayton trade options here for the Pacers, what the Pacers, you know, would have to potentially give up. We go through the trade scenarios. We go through the pros and cons of DeAndre Ayton, giving him a max contract, what it would be, how much it would cost. Uh, it's just a lot of good detailed information. If you guys are at least interested in knowing about what it could look like, then listen to this episode because you're going to really enjoy the thoughts behind it. And I think just to kind of put it out there, even if you don't want this to happen at all, just give this a listen to kind of see what it would entail. And maybe maybe one of us could persuade you one way or the other, uh, depending on how you feel, Fotch. Yeah, look, I mean, this is going to be a topic that I think Pacer fans are torn on because, A, DeAndre Ayton is a very talented player. B, he's going to be a very expensive player. But talent isn't necessarily uh, walking through the Pacers' door quite often in free agency. Our track record isn't the best. So a signing, you know, basically a signing trade like this uh, would be kind of one of the biggest acquisitions in Pacer history. Mm-hmm. So one way or another, A, it, it's, uh, we're in the running, and there's no denying that. Yeah, absolutely. So before we take a quick break, I just want to remind everybody that we are going to be doing our ratings and review giveaway the week of the draft. So um, I think we'll probably wait. Did we say did we say the week after the draft? I think that's what we said uh, yeah. right around July because we want to see who the Pacers draft because one of the prizes we're going to be giving away is a is a jersey. So if you like one of the guys the Pacers drafted, maybe they draft two guys. Who knows what happens? You, you like one of those players? Hey, you know what? We're going to give you a chance to get hooked up with that jersey. If not, you can pick a current player. We don't care. We just want to give you guys as much as Kevin Pritchard would say, optionality as possible. So there's that. We're, we're still looking for that Jermaine O'Neal autograph card I have somewhere. I'm going to find it. And then a setting the pace hoodie is what we also offered as well. So uh, 
if it's a little too warm for a hoodie, maybe we'll look at getting you guys a t-shirt, a custom t-shirt or something like that. But wanted to remind everybody, if you haven't already, uh, make sure you give us a five-star rating and review. Send me an email at alexgoldennba at gmail.com with a screenshot of your rating and review, and you'll be entered in to win the contest. So really cool opportunity here for you guys. It's free. All it does is take a simple moment from your time to go fill out one of these ratings and reviews and help us out, make this show more noticeable for other other listeners that might not have gotten a chance to hear our episodes before. So uh, long story short, Fachi, just really excited. And we really want to thank everybody for helping us cross the threshold of 200, download, uh, 200 ratings and reviews. Make no mistake, we had the best listeners out there. I've said it a hundred times. This show would have been done two years ago. Most of you would have never even heard of us if it wasn't for our original passionate listeners that have told others about what we're doing over here. It's really kept Alex and I hungry to keep bringing you better content, better interviews, anything that we can do to just entertain you guys in any way. So thank you so, so much. Absolutely. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come right back and we'll talk with Evan Sattery from basketballnews.com. All right. Joining us now on setting the pace is the one and only Evan Sattery from basketballnews.com. Evan, what's going on, man? Hey, what's up, guys? Really appreciate the invite. And I'm actually looking forward to talking about this because looking from a national perspective and joining you guys to cover it locally more, this Pacers team actually holds a lot of cards this offseason for a lot of different topics. Yeah. And, and Fachi, will you let the listeners know what we're going to be talking about today? Absolutely. We're going to talk about the potential of DeAndre Ayton landing with the Indiana Pacers this offseason. Ayton looking for a max deal. Suns might not be able to give him that. And then the Pacers are one of a few teams that actually has the cap space to be able to make a move for Ayton. So, hey, there's a possibility. Yeah, and we brought on Evan, and I, and I want Evan to kind of introduce himself a little bit here in case the fans aren't aware of, uh, you know, what Evan does for basketball news and, and, and what your basketball coverage has been. So, Evan, just kind of give a rundown of why we're bringing you on for this topic to talk, DeAndre Ayton. Yeah, so I am a national NBA, NBA reporter for basketballnews.com. We have a great staff over there at basketballnews.com, Nikias Duncan, Alex Kennedy, and the rest of the crew as well. Um, I, I'm covering really the Phoenix Suns, my first part of my basketball career since 2017, but I've expanded more into a national role recently. So it's been awesome to cover the whole league as a whole. And as an Indiana Hoosier native myself, uh, I, I have a fondness for this Pacers team and watching them really from afar the last couple of years from a distance and just seeing I think it's been long overdue this rebuild for them to see this kind of go into a new vision here. But my basketball career has really been out in Phoenix, making it happen here. And then with basketballnews.com, it's just been exciting to see how we've been growing and looking ahead to what we could be doing next. Yeah, absolutely. So let's just let's just get right into this. Um, obviously, we've heard some chatter about Aiden's unhappiness with Phoenix. Obviously, the way the whole thing ended against Dallas, the blowout loss, I'm not going back into the game. It just kind of seemed like the cherry on top. And so now there's all these rumors going around like, hey, Aiden could be on the move. Aiden could sign a contract somewhere else. Will Phoenix match it? Could they do a sign and trade? What's going on? So I, I think first we just need to talk, go back and kind of recap what led to this point with Aiden kind of having a fallout here in Phoenix. Yeah, it's very interesting because you would have never thought you just watched the Suns play basketball all year that there was an issue behind the scenes going on. But it really bubbled over in October for a little bit when we heard Adrian Wojnarowski kind of get some intel inside the Suns organization about DeAndre Ayton's situation. The Suns did not view Ayton as a max level player. They did not want to offer him a full five-year max level extension like other guys like Michael Porter Jr., Shea Gillis-Alexander, Trey Young, other guys got in the same draft class. But looking ahead as well to – 
how it could play out the rest of the season as a restricted free agent. Aiton played well. He averaged around 17 and 10 this year. Great numbers for a third option, but I think he could be even more if he wasn't an expanded role. He really hasn't been a primary option since Chris Paul got there. And that's what Aiton was frustrated about. That's why he it kind of blew up in game seven where he only played 17 minutes where I think Aiton has been wanting to be in a primary role throughout his entire career. It hasn't happened yet. And it's kind of just a buck of the trend, so to say, because Aiton is a retro center. He reminds me of like a Patrick Ewing, Akeem Olajuwon. I mean, he's a really great guy around the basket. I really, he can really have some good touch in the mid-range as well, but he doesn't have, really offer much else. He's not really a playmaker. He can dribble much. He's, a, oh, he's an inconsistent defender that has elite upside flashes, but it's really hit or miss at some point. So there's a lot of holes in DeAndre Ayton's game. I think he could be worth a max, but in the Sun system where they don't run anything for DeAndre and he really gets all his points off of offensive rebounds or tip ends or just simple hooks inside around the basket. So I'll be really curious to see how this plays out. I think the Suns will let him hit restricted free and see, let him get a match offer on the open market, see if they want to match it. From what I've been told, the Suns would match an offer sheet for DeAndre Ayton. They will not let him just walk for free. So if anything happens with the Pacers, for example, or any other team in the NBA, DeAndre Ayton would be in a sign and trade so the Suns get back some value. Very interesting. And, and a great point that you made, because I was going to bring it up myself, is I feel like in the 80s or 90s, DeAndre Ayton could have been an absolute beast when centers reigned supreme. But I feel like for a guy that puts up the numbers that he does as a third option, do you feel that he's more of a, you know, kind of the less talked about number one productive picks in recent years? Yeah, I think he's honestly very underrated. When Aiton is playing, when, he, when he's playing at his ceiling, he's, I think, a top 40 player in the NBA. I think that's fair to say at this point. When he's flashing on defense like he is, and he's able to be a dominant player on the offensive end, we expect consistently. I think DeAndre Ayton could be a guy that can give you 23 points per game, 12, 13 rebounds per game, and be a consistent number one or 1B option to whoever it could be. And I think a place like Indiana makes a lot of sense for DeAndre Ayton in that standpoint where it can finally be a primary option. And as, as someone that we all know from the Pacers standpoint, it is hard to attract free agents to Indiana as a small market. And the Pacers have the opportunity this year, a rare opportunity, to go out and get a 23-year-old big man, going to be 24 in July, who still has some untapped upside on both ends of the court if you want to expand his game a little bit. And from the Pacers' standpoint, this is your one chance to get a homegrown star in the building, and DeAndre would not mind playing in the Indiana for the next four-plus years if you get the money that he wants. So I think it makes a lot of sense to be quite honest. I think DeAndre Ayton in a bigger role actually is underrated. I think with the Suns, he's shown that. I mean, last year in the finals, he went up against Anthony or Yonson Tanakumpo, held his own a little bit. He beat Anthony Davis up in the first round. He held his own against Nicole Jokic in the second round. And why they beat the Nuggets in that sweep last year going on in the finals. So DeAndre Ayton really has been a key piece of the Suns puzzle. I don't know why they won't max him if they don't want to. But he's definitely going to have value elsewhere. I think he will get max offers elsewhere if he does indeed hit that market, which I think he will. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple teams out there that do have cap space, obviously, the Pacers being one of them. I know Detroit's another one, um, but I can't think of everybody off the top of my head that has it. So just looking at the I have other it right here. All right, give it so, to me much. Orlando Magic, yeah. Detroit Pistons, those two have more cap space than the Indiana Pacers. Then just below the Pacers, you have the Spurs and the Trailblazers. Those are the only teams that are uh, above $20 million in outright cap space. Okay, so so walk me through that. Out of all the options, there it is. Indiana have the best uh, case to maybe entice him to want to come here? I think, honestly, if I was in DeAndre Ayton's camp and 
we've seen it the last couple of years, he really benefits from an elite point guard around him. Chris pulsing up for a career high true stream percentage this year of 65.6%. He's an elite finisher around the basket. He even showed it when Ricky Rubio was there, a competent starting level point guard in 2019 with Phoenix. So I think uh, Tyrese Halliburton makes perfect sense for DeAndre. And I think whether it be like an Oklahoma City with SGA and Josh Giddy, maybe Detroit with Cade Cunningham as well. I could see that being an option there. Trey Young in Atlanta could be a potential sign and trade option as well. I think he's a perfect fit there. But Indiana, I think, offers not only the money that Aiton wants, but also the fit because I think in Rick Carlisle's system, DeAndre Aiton could be the anchor and also a, a, I think, a versatile offensive player if you expand his role a little bit, where he could be a perfect fit in Rick Carlisle's system. He's a great pick and roll player, number one in the NBA this year in pick and roll efficiency around the basket. He'd be a great fit with Halliburton in that sense to really help accentuate Tyrese Halliburton's strengths and really. His gravity is one thing that's very underrated too offensively. Seeing him up close the last four years in Phoenix, his gravity when he rolls to the rim, everyone goes toward him. All eyes go towards DeAndre, and it, it makes easy open opportunities for corner threes, for guys like Chris Duarte, for example, if you want to throw him in the mix there. I think this is a great fit if Indiana actually wants to pursue it for sure. So when you mentioned the money, hey, the Pacers do have the money to, to offer it now. Hey, it's a lot of money. We're talking about, I feel like it's max or bust from Aiton. It feels like he will get a max contract somewhere. And we're talking about a five-year contract with Phoenix. It's going to pay him, you know, roughly about 173 to $175 million uh, over five years. However, if it's another team, you're looking at a four-year contract, just over $130 million. Just to take you through some names over there in terms of centers that are making the max. We have Nikola Jokic, we have Rudy Gobert, we have Kat, you have Embiid. And you also have, in terms of uh, you know, your power forwards and centers, Anthony Davis, Bam Adebayo. Where would you rank DeAndre Ayton out of those maxed out centers? I would say he's at the bottom of that list, to be I honest. I agree with that. And that's yeah. what scares me. Yeah, that's the, that's the scary part, but there is also untapped upside as far as offensive hub of, of a system, so to say. If you feed him, I know it's a retro thing to feed a guy in the post but he's a great base up shooter as well he's one of the best mid-range shooters in the nba i know that's a dying breed but when you see guys are able to spread the floor a little bit and create a little bit of gravity around the perimeter it helps out guys so much deandre showed that as well this year if a guy can give you 22 and 12 for the next three or four years i think that's more than worth the max and his defense he has shown some inconsistencies but last year during that finals run i think eight's dfg percentage his defended field goal percentage was 37 and a half percent against guys like anthony davis nicole Jokic, and yasin Kumpo. so he when he's locked in he's an elite rim protector i think he's on that level of a rudy gobert he's more of a modern rudy gobert from that sense less rim protection ability but he's not going to be played off the floor so to say dallas is kind of the first time that series in game seven was the first time he's ever been played off the court in a series and his playoff career so far so i think eight can hold his own in that sense he's a very mobile big man i think he could be worth the max in the right system he's not worth it as a third option in phoenix but he's like a number one or number two or like a 1b so to say in a place like indiana i think actually i think he would be worth the value in that sense yeah and i think one of the things people kind of overlook here with indiana is like oh they, they, they want pacer fan or they want the the front office and and to go out and get these big name players, they don't want to spend the money on them, right? So it's like, okay, DeAndre Ayton's potentially available. It's a first overall pick from 2018, just 23 years old. Yeah, people are like, oh, he's not worth the max. He's not a guy that I'd be wanting to give the max to. It's like, look, you're not going to get the Giannis Antetokounmpo's to come to Indiana. This is a chance to get a really, really good player. And on top of that, Look at all the rest of the core players on this Pacers team. They're all on cheaper contracts. Tyrese Halliburton, Chris Duarte, Isaiah Jackson. 
the six overall pick they're going to have this year, your key guys are on rookie contracts. So it makes even more sense now to go out and give DeAndre Ayton this max deal, see what he can do for you for the next couple of years. If it works out great, then you're happy with your investment. If it doesn't, I'm sure there's going to be teams that would still be willing to make that move and trade for him. So to me, I don't really see a ton of cons and why the Pacers shouldn't at least pursue this pretty hard. Yeah, the only con I could think of is maybe DeAndre Ayton's motor because that has been questioned throughout his career. Some nights watching him, he just comes out in the first five minutes, you know it's not going to be a great DeAndre Ayton night. Just very lackadaisical. He's not really doing much. And that's what worries you. If he gets paid, is that's going to be a guy that's content with his money? Is he going to want to improve and improve upon the money he's making? That's the scary part. It almost reminds me of like an Andrew Wiggins 2.0 where Wiggins is finally proving his value on that contract, but it's the final year of that contract, so to say. And he's just an elite role player. And that's the scary part of they And if you really buy in, you can help him develop his mental game. I think that's where he really needs to lock in is his mental side. If he does reach that point, I think he will be a star big man, a consistent all-star in the NBA. I think from the Pacers standpoint, if they were to be interested in DeAndre Ayton, and I think they are just based off of what I've heard and based off what we know from Zach Lowe and others, that the Pacers and the Suns actually did discuss Demonis Sabonis and DeAndre Ayton at the deadline. And from what I was told, Demonis Sabonis, if he was still on the team, they would have rediscovered those talks this offseason to like make that science trade happen with Sabonis and Ayton. So I think there's actually legit legs to this for as far as the Pacers' interest goes. I, I do wonder how he would fit in Indy. I think it would be a great fit. But as far as Aiton and his overall value, the mental side is the one thing missing. But if you could tap into that, I think Rick Carl could be the perfect guy for that. He's a no-nonsense guy. He's going to really make Aiton lock into his mental game. I think he'd be a really great fit there and really prove his value. And as far as the Eastern Conference, real quickly as well, Joel Embiid, Bam Adebayo, Yasutun and Kumpo, He's kind of your perfect guy to go up against those guys long-term in the Eastern Conference where it's kind of going back to the, toward the modern freaky big man, and Aiton can help you in that sort of sense. Yeah, I mean, between Turner and Aiton, very, you know, there's a lot of differences over there. You know, Miles loves to kind of stand out by the three-point line, get a lot of three-point shots up. Aiton, you're still wondering if that part of his game comes. Now, I felt like what I loved is when I saw John Dre Aiton pre-bubble and then when he went in the bubble, I, I started to see – you know, he was taking a little bit more threes. You know, just to run through it in his career, he's made 14 threes. He's 14 to 56. It's nothing to be excited about. But do you think Aiton can put it all together and be a capable three-point shooter? Because this year, he was 7 of 19. Doesn't have the sample size, but in reality, that equates to about 37%. Yeah, I think he's a guy that can give you like 36% on average and be just a guy that can at least make you – draw the guy out of the paint, so to say, make the other guy have an open lane to cut to the basket and help his teammates out there and give you that gravity. Because like you mentioned, DeAndre, and he shot around 37% this year on threes. And it was mostly on those trail threes in transition where guys aren't guarding him and they let him shoot wide open threes. And he just takes that at this point. I think he should shoot it more often for sure. Well, the modern NBA is going. And if DeAndre can at least give you 34, 35, 36% on threes, and he shoots it two or three times per game, that's almost exactly what Joel Embiid does for Philadelphia. So I think that could be one thing for DeAndre Ayton for sure that you can watch out for there. I wanted to uh, just kind of go back and talk about what a Max contract would be like if the Pacers were to try and do a sign and trade. So I'm not sure how much it would actually cost the Pacers. I think Fachi threw out a rough number. I got it. Um, Evan, do you know what the actual like number contract-wise and like and what uh, it would, how that would play a factor into a trade? 
Yes. So if it is a sign and trade, I believe the Suns in this situation won't give Aiton a full five-year max because they were very hesitant to do that. They were willing to go to a four or three-year max, but five was never a decision. That's what Aiton's camp wanted. That's why it never came to a deal. So let's say it's a four-year, $137 million max, which is what the Suns can give them the most money for. It's not that much difference compared to what other teams can. Four years, $131 million, but that's $6 million extra that Aiton can pocket there. Let's say he signs that four-year, $137 million deal. Base annual compensation is the really unique kicker about the situation is that Suns, his contract counts as $30 million on their books. But for another team, it's only $15 million for the base annual salary because it's just a weird sign and trade thing with Aiton as a fifth-year option guy, restricted free agent. So the Suns would only have to take back $15 million in salary if that trade were to happen just with DeAndre Ayton. But if they add in, let's say, Dario Sarge on his expiring contract or like a campaign, they can add in a couple more players and make the salaries work there. So it gets a little interesting after that, but it'd be a four-year, $137 million contract for DeAndre Ayton wherever he goes as a restricted free agent. So I think let's just get down to business and, and say, what is it that would make a sign-and-trade work for the Phoenix Suns here with this Indiana Pacer roster? Yeah, so I wrote about some potential sign-and-trades for Aiton from the Suns' perspective on basketballnews.com this week if you guys want to go check it out as well. But the Pacers were on that list, I think, made a lot of sense. My offer for them was Chris Duarte, Miles Turner, and TJ McConnell for DeAndre and You'd probably have to throw in Dario Sarge's expiring salary to make that work in that sign-and-trade. But you would have Aiton and Sarge pretty much for those three players, McConnell, Duarte, and Miles Turner. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I, I think some fans pushed back when, when I threw out that trade idea on, on Twitter, especially they were like, we're not giving up Chris Duarte and Miles Turner for DeAndre Ayton. That's not a good trade. Um, I, I kind of understand the logic there. If you don't think paying a center makes a ton of sense in today's NBA to go out and overpay, I guess you could say, or max out, a center, but I also think at the same time you have to look at, like I said earlier, where this Pacers team is at. They're trying to rebuild. They're trying to grow. And, you know, Duarte is going to be 25 by the start of next season. So, you know, he's a good player, but I think he could make some sense now. Let me throw this out at you, Evan. I don't know if you've even thought about this, but obviously Chris Paul is not going to be around forever. He's got a lot of injury problems uh, throughout his career, especially in the postseason. And another guy that has those same injury problems but, you know, it's still a really good player is Malcolm Brogdon. I know that the salaries would have to take – would be different in terms of a trade idea, but you're probably talking uh, Aiton sign-and-trade, Dario Saric, and then probably Landry Shamit if you were going to do a Turner and Brogdon deal for that. Would that be something that would interest the Suns? Yeah, honestly, just thinking about that, I actually have something coming this week on basketballnews.com about Malcolm Brogdon and his future. From what I've heard around the league so far, and uh, Matt Babcock, our NBA draft analyst, is in Chicago. He's heard a lot of intel as well about this. The Indiana is aggressively shopping Malcolm Brogdon, where he, I think he is going to be going on draft night at this point. So what, whatever deal they get for Brogdon, I think it's going to be on the table for them. And I mentioned Phoenix as a possibility. I have no intel on that, just a guess, because like you mentioned, he'd be a great guy just to spell 25, 30 minutes per game for Chris Paul, have him take some nights off as well. It's an okay contract for value as well. From Brogdon's standpoint, be a great fit in the Sun system. Let's say you can throw in, if we want to make this fun, like Brogdon, Miles Turner, maybe McConnell and Duarte, they'll just add on to that deal. And you send back Shamit, Sharich, 
DeAndre Ayton. So that could be like a four for three swap there. And then maybe you throw into the mix there a couple other stars to make it work. But you can make it a big trade if you want to. I think it makes sense from the Sun side because if you add in Brogdon, you add in Turner as a versatile floor spacer and a rip protector. I know he's on an expiring contract, but he definitely fits the modern NBA for sure. I think it makes some sense. I, I think there's a lot of ways this could go. Even if the DeAndre is not involved in this, I could easily see the Suns maybe throwing their expiring contracts Phoenix or Indiana's way to try to get Malcolm Brogdon. I got to admit, like an overprotective parent, I'm thinking, not my Chris. I don't want to give up Chris Duarte uh, so bad because the fact that he's a finally a promising rookie that's come through Indiana has me torn. I understand. And that's my heart playing into this, my emotions. But I, I do feel like the trade that you provided, it's very fair. I mean, they get a great shooter in Landry Schmidt. Then you're also talking about Sarch. I mean, look, you know, not what he was a couple of years ago. He's had some injuries, but Aiton is the main piece right over there. I would feel far more comfortable if we're parting with Brogdon, Turner, and McConnell over there. But I understand Chris Duarte is going to be a player that is coveted um, by a few different teams. Alex, if it really came down to it, you know, would you package Duarte in that deal to get it done? Yeah, uh, I think you'd think long and hard about it, depending on who you draft at six as well. Because if you get another guard at six, does it make sense to uh, – you know, to keep Duarte here if he's going to be playing a limited role, maybe off the bench or even at the small forward where he may not get as many touches. I, li I really like Chris Duarte, but at the end of the day, you have to do what's best for the team moving forward. And if push came to shove and, you know, I thought that DeAndre Ayton could be that much of a difference changer, then I probably do it. But I think the front office has to really sit back and weigh their options and say, do we really believe in DeAndre Ayton as this guy? For them to, you know, potentially throw out DeMontis Sabonis in a sign-and-trade scenario, I think that speaks, or at least it tells me that they think highly of him. So uh, the only reason I threw out the Brogdon and Turner thing was because I did it on, like, the uh, the trade machine, right? You could, you could do Brogdon and Turner for Sarge, Shamit, and Aiton. Now, that would impact both salary caps a little bit, a little bit more. I thought about this because I'm like, well, Brogdon is good enough that he could play some of the, the wing with – Devin Booker, because he's guarded bigger guys like LeBron James, like those kind of guys. I just wonder where Jay Crowder fits into all of this. And uh, Mikael Bridges, obviously, you know, if you, you wouldn't bring Brogdon off the bench, you'd probably have to start him with Chris Paul, Devin Booker. Now you're talking Turner, uh, Turner Bridges and Crowder still have to figure it out. With Crowder being unexpiring, I think he's the most likely to go to the bench in this scenario, Evan. But at the same time, I thought maybe the Pacers could take back Crowder instead of taking on that four-year deal that Shamit has. I could certainly see that, especially for Indiana. I don't know if they want to tie themselves into a couple more years of guaranteed salary for Landry Shamit when they're definitely going to a full rebuild at this point. Jay Cryer makes some sense there, especially with Cam Johnson's emergence the last couple of years. He's a, a, eligible for an extension this offseason. So I, I would be shocked if they don't give Cam Johnson an extension this offseason. So maybe that opens the door for a Jay Crowder trade there. And, and real quick on Chris Duarte as well for Pacers fans, maybe apprehensive to moving him in this scenario. Think of it as, let's say at six, one of or you're guaranteed one of Keegan Murray, Jaden Ivey, Shaden Sharp, Benedict Matherin is going to be there at six. Think of it as eight and plus one of those guys that it can fill Duarte's role as that sort of trade you're making. Like, I think if you can walk out of the draft with a shade and sharp, or even let's say a Jaden Ivy, if he falls, or even in a scenario like a Benedict Matherin at six, and you add DeAndre on top of that, I had to a huge win and an upgrade over Chris Duarte. No, that absolutely changes things 100%. I mean, if you are bringing in a shade and sharp, Ivy, Benedict Matherin, then all of a sudden, you know, you have, you have a lot of, 
you have a lot of guards to go around and not enough minutes to fill it. But make no mistake about it, whether it's sad, but it's true. This would be the biggest acquisition for the Pacers, probably in history in terms of when you look at, hey, other recent signing trades, you're talking about Malcolm Brogdon. Free agency, you know, you're talking about David West years ago. So we're talking about bringing in the former number one overall pick. If the Pacers are to get this done, how do you see it raising their ceiling over the next few years? Call me crazy, but I think if you put DeAndre Ayton into this system for Indiana with Rick Carlisle and Tyrese Halliburton takes the jump, I think he can next year. I think he can be talking about a top 10 seed and competing for a playing spot. I, I think I'm very confident about that because DeAndre Ayton will help stabilize a really poor defense for the Pacers last year. He's a great rim protector. Like we talked about, very versatile in that sense. He's an immediate efficient offense player helps raise the ceiling on your offense where you can throw it down to him and he'll get you an easy buck in nine out of 10 times there and give you an easy 20 and 10 almost every single night you can sleepwalk into that at this point of his career I think he's a perfect fit with Halliburton he fits the young course timeline too right on that same timeline with Halliburton and also let's say Duarte's gone this example you have Halliburton DeAndre and Isaiah Jackson whoever you pick at six there that's a really solid young core on top of what you're building there so I think for them, it makes an awful lot of sense to pull the trigger there. And from DeAndre Ayton's standpoint, I think it's a great fit for him as far as a basketball player and the, and the system he would be going to for the Pacers because Tyrese Halliburton, we've already seen it in his young career. He makes everyone better around him. Well, I want to ask you this because obviously in, t- in today's NBA, it's, we're getting away from the center to a certain degree unless you're one of those unicorns like a Jokic, like an Embiid. And obviously, Bam, I think he's a totally different player because he's a little bit shorter, not a guy that's going to take you down in the post. But – he can really guard the perimeter pretty well. Uh, looking at what the Warriors have right now, Kevon Looney's, uh, you know, he's played really well for, for his position. And Draymond can play that small ball um, five. And so it just seems like, you know, we're, we're not really seeing the Rudy Gobert types dominate in the league because of their inability to guard in the perimeter. Do you believe that DeAndre Ayton is a guy that can actually guard in the perimeter? Or do you think that the Pacers or just anybody that is interested in him should have concerns with potentially getting cooked if he's out there on a one-on-one matchup on the perimeter? No, I'm very confident that he can be a guy who holds up well because he showed last year. I know the Dallas series the last few games is just a really bad couple of experiences for DeAndre on the defensive end in those situations. But he's shown throughout his career, watching every game of his, that he's a very versatile defender who can really – like take on guards with no issue. He can really make it uncomfortable for guys in the perimeter. His length, his foot speed at his size makes it almost impossible for guards to try to try to drive to the basket on him. So he's a very versatile defender if you want to really go in a switch heavy scheme, which I could see happening in this situation with Aiden if you were to pay him max money to accentuate his defensive skills. He's a very athletic guy who can go up around the basket and make some really spectacular block shots as well. He doesn't do it often, but if he's locked in defensively, he gives you that very consistently. So that's the one thing with Aiden is just having him being locked in there. But I think he's one of the top five most impactful big men in the NBA. I know he flies under the radar there. He had a very bad ending there against the Dallas series. But when he is locked in, he's the backbone of this Suns defense. And if they were to trade DeAndre, that Suns defense is going to take a huge step back. You know, I got to admit, there was a metaphorical, you know, drop of sweat coming down my head when you said, hey, if we're to pull this off, call me crazy, but the Pacers could be competing for a playing game. You know, look, if we need to dish out $130 plus million in in a trade and we're just in the playing, it makes me feel like, man, how far have these Indiana Pacers fallen? But look, I know it would be a big step forward where many moves would need to be made after that. Now, if we're looking at a potential dark horse team to maybe – 
swoop in there and pull off a trade. Is there a team that maybe comes to mind that we're not thinking that could land DeAndre Eden? Yeah, there's a few that come to mind for me. And the first one is might be an obvious one because I think they're the most dire team that need to center in the NBA, but that's the Charlotte Hornets because they've been linked to Aiden already from what I've heard and from uh, other people at basketballnews.com. They've been told as well with the Aiden situation. So I think Charlotte makes a lot of sense. We actually, um, I think it was Mike Borkinov of the Athletic today. He wrote that the Suns met with Tari Eason, the lottery pick out of LSU predicted to go in the top 15, and the Suns have no draft picks this year. So that makes me think, Maybe something's happening behind the scenes there. Maybe they can get the 13th or 15th pick, take Easton there with the eight and sign and trade they make happen there. Maybe Atlanta makes sense if they want to retool. Maybe you trade John Collins and Bogdan Bogdanovich to get Aiton on board there with Trey Young. So those are two that stand out to me. I think wherever Aiton goes, if they do end up signing and trading Aiton, whether it's Indiana or elsewhere, I think it's for sure in the Eastern Conference because I can't see the Suns trading him to a Western Conference contender and helping out a team when they're trying to compete for a title themselves. That, that definitely makes a lot of sense. You know, we, we see that a lot of times when players get traded, like the Sabonis deal, obviously going to Sacramento, Tyrese coming to Indiana. You always want to get them out of your conference just in case they do, uh, you know, have, have a really good career. And I, I think Paul George going to OKC was a big part of that because the most rumored teams were the Cavs at that time and, of, of course, Boston. But the Pacers decided to trade him out west. So let's go ahead and take a quick break. And I want to come back and talk with Evan a little bit about this upcoming draft maybe get some of his thoughts on who the Pacers could take. And if we have time, we'll, we'll jump into some more Malcolm Brogdon uh, thoughts, but we'll be right back after this. All right, Evan, let's talk a little bit here about the Pacers. You threw out some interesting stuff. You talked about there's a lot of belief that there's a chance Brogdon is traded bef- before the draft or during the draft or whatever. So that means the Pacers clearly have their eyes potentially on moving up or, or potentially getting another pick. Uh, just looking at this draft, I guess, um, with pick six, who do you think makes the most sense for the Pacers? Yeah, in, in a dream scenario, it's for sure Jaden Ivey because I, I heard way back in February that the Pacers were in love with Jaden Ivey and they were hoping to get in the top four of this year's draft to get him. Maybe they can still move up and get him at this point, but that was what I was told like three, three or so months back. Maybe they've changed their tune on Jaden and other prospects top the board. But the, he is certainly the dream scenario there. We all know why local kid there, Purdue, he may really bring instant notoriety to the Pacers for a team that desperately needs to get more ticket revenue as well, for sure. But he's a franchise-changing player, in my opinion. He, he's really in that John Morant tier for me where he could be a superstar guard in the NBA. But outside of that, I think Jaden Ivey, his – his floor, excuse me, is probably around five to Detroit. I can't see them not passing on him. So I think if they want to get him, he probably moved to forward Sacramento to make that happen. But maybe Jaden Ivey. But the other ones for sure, Shaden Sharp is a mystery box. I know Alex, you have ranked number one for you as your preferred options. I think he's two for me just because the elite athleticism is off the charts there. And for the Pacers, I think if you're up there for the first time in almost 40 years in this spot, number six overall, you got to take a swing. I know Keegan Murray is an awesome player. He reminds me an awful lot of Danny Granger, but he's maybe a, a one or two time all-star in his career. Gives you 20 plus points per game, a couple seasons. Shaden Sharp, if he flops, it's, it's really bad. Everyone's fired, but it's the risk you got to take. Cause if he hits, he's a superstar in the NBA as a lead guard. I think he makes an awful lot of sense there. And then, like I mentioned, Keegan Murray and then Benedict Matherin. I think those are the two guys if Sharp and Ivy are off the board, you'd debate between there at six. And I think I would go Matherin right now just because uh, he reminds me a lot of Oladipo, to be honest. A very explosive guard. He can create off the balance. A 
proven great three-point shooter. He's a career 42% catches to three-pointer at Arizona. So we already know he could be a three-level scorer in the NBA. Keegan Murray, like I mentioned, is a solid starter in the NBA. He could really give you a high floor. So those are the guys I'm watching out for there. Maybe the Pacers can move up and parlay like a Malcolm Brogdon to Sacramento. Let's say like six and Brogdon for four. Maybe that can entice a win-now playoff team like Sacramento to make that happen. Yeah, like I imagine the Pacers probably, you know, and you know, they wouldn't have to take someone back, but the Kings probably do unload someone in that deal. But I would still do it. I would love to move up to four. However, just a little bit of a, you know, getting your take on this. Say the Pacers are deciding between Shaden Sharp and Benedict Matherin, but Sharp doesn't really seem like he wants to be in Indiana. And Benedict Matherin definitely wants to be in Indiana. Who do you pick? from based on Kevin Pritchard making it known whoever we want to pick has to want to be here due to the recency of hey, Paul George, Oladipo, maybe even Sabonis. Stars are all-stars all that haven't wanted to be here and end up leaving. Yeah, that's absolutely a, a huge thing for the situation. And for Indianapolis, the city, like having stars that are homegrown and built there is a special thing to, have, to be able to see those guys' careers develop. And the pay, for the Pacers, it's been a long time since we've seen that. I mean, Paul George, we know how that ended. Danny Granger, if injuries never happened, I still believe he's one of the greatest Pacers of all time. Still hurts. Yeah, I, I know. It, it's so tough to think back about with Granger. He was so awesome to watch. I think he'd be a superstar today in the NBA with the way that the league is going. But I think with them, if they were to get a guy like Matherin and he hits his ceiling, so to say, and he's your new Paul George, Old Depot type, I think he's a guy, he has that dog mentality to me where he, you can bet on him if you throw him into a, like a fight or flight situation he's going to win there if you say Shaden Sharp has some questions about his future in Indianapolis maybe he's intrigued by building his brand in like a Miami or a New York or Los Angeles you you definitely pull a trigger on a math room there you need to hit on a superstar here at six a homegrown superstar they can think back on the idea for Indiana and Kevin Pritchard and the rest of the frog should be who is going to join the likes of Reggie Miller Rick Smiths Danny Granger others who are homegrown pacers historic pacers in the, in the franchise and, and that guy has to be here long term throughout his career and be that new face of the franchise moving forward here maybe that's Tyrese Halliburton already but you when the more guys you have there the better and the more you get the better chance you have a competing for a title so I would definitely go for Mather in that situation yeah I think I'm on board with you guys too with with Matherin over over Sharp if he doesn't want to be here look I know that I'm really high on Sharp because to me it's just like so many people have talked about his upside, his talent, what he could be. You watch him as film, you see, okay, I see a lot of it here. But at the same time, it's an unknown. And that's what's so interesting about him. I feel like if the Pacers were to pass up on him, right, and go a different route, they might regret that decision because I feel like that's what happens to them all the time. Anytime they pass on a guy that people are really interested in, it usually uh, comes back to bite them in the butt. So that's kind of where I'm like, okay, this is why I don't want to pass up on Sharp. If he's there at six, you got to take him and just hope that you hit on that upside swing. But the more I hear from Ben Matherin, the more he talks to reporters. I mean, his interview with Mike Schmitz talking about his dunk against TCU in the tournament where he compared himself to Anthony Edwards and said that he models his game after him a little bit. And he said in five years, he thinks he's going to be the best player in the NBA. To me, someone with that level of confidence in themselves with the work ethic that he has, uh, I don't know how much you know about Matherin. Obviously, you were covering the Suns out there uh, in Arizona, so I don't know if you're more familiar with him than maybe uh, some of the other guys. But I'm just curious, you know, do you think that that mentality, that work ethic, will uh, will will come to the NBA once he gets that paycheck? That that's the big question. I think that's what's so 
intriguing about just the whole scouting process, whether a sport it may be, is the mental side of it. What happens when a guy gets paid? What happens? Do they continue to improve or do they just settle? That's the question we had earlier with DeAndre. What happens when he gets that max contract? Will he settle or will he keep improving on his game? And with Matherin, I feel like the answer right now in his career is for sure a guy that's going to keep improving because – he, like I mentioned, I, I had a chance to actually watch him up close a few times this year at U of A, and he has that aura around him, that star mentality. Like, he reminds me an awful lot of just mentality-wise Devin Booker when he came into the NBA and covering Book throughout his career. Super confident young kid, 18 years old, entering the NBA, comes in saying I'm the best player on this team, best player in this entire thing. And he makes it happen. He makes it happen by becoming a key cog within the first few months of the NBA season as a rookie. And I can see that happening here with Ben Matherin. He's a very athletic guy. He reminds me of like a Donovan Mitchell, Victor Oladipo, where if he hits his ceiling, he's a future star for sure. He's a guy that you can really imagine 22, 23 plus points per game, a great defender as well, a consistent shooter on the perimeter. I don't think it's a coincidence that we've heard from, uh, I believe it was James Boyd who tweeted it out from the Indy Star that they met with Matherin right after the lottery results. They went right over to Matherin right afterwards. So I, I think he's a guy to watch out for there for sure. If I'm betting on guys in that range, I think it's for sure Matherin and it's Keegan Murray, just based off of what I've heard from Keegan Murray and watching his game. He's definitely not a guy. I'd rather bet on Matherin just based off the age difference and also the ceiling, but I wouldn't go, go wrong either guy that is based off their mentalities. Hey, like some hair on the top of your head. Ben Matherin is growing on me, and, and I am very intrigued. But I'm curious, last year it was Josh Giddy. This year, is there a player that you see that could maybe have that rise up into the draft that we're not really talking about now, but maybe over the next few weeks climbs into that, say, I don't know, top six, you know, top eight or so that we're not really mentioning that much right now? Yeah, there is a lot of smoke. We covered it on on basketballnews.com this week as well from the combine until we heard from Matt and others. But it sounds like Dyson Daniels, the G League Ignite prospect, is getting a lot of late buzz here. We've heard even some top five buzz from some executives. And if that's the case, he could very much be in play for the Pacers. He is a for sure unknown in this draft class, G League Ignite, but he had a growth spur at the combine. He measured it almost at six foot eight as a lead guard. So he's a very enticing guy very explosive. He's a good defender. He can, he's improved his shooting ability as well as a big question with Dyson Daniels was his shooting ability when he came over here to join the G league. And he really has shown that he's improved very much as a shooter. So you have to see how it does in these pre-draft workout circuits, but he crushed his pro day. He's crushed pre-draft draft interviews so far. And I would not be shocked that Dyson Daniels is a guy that the Pacers do bring in for workout here. Cause let's say something happens where math in or a lot of these guys are off the board by the time six happens Dyson Daniels could be like your plan plan C plan D option if that indeed does unfold mm, yeah I know that's an interesting name to keep an eye on someone that I'm not paid too much attention to because I haven't seen him mocked around the the pacers where they would be picking at so um it's it's hard to like watch so much film on these guys but from what I've seen from Daniels you know there's a lot of upside there and obviously um, a lot of buzz recently but let's talk about Malcolm Brogdon now because this is a guy that everybody's expecting to get traded, right? I mean, there's no doubt about it. He just doesn't make a lot of sense here. He's 29 years old, just had a three-year extension. I think if he would have been available before the deadline, he probably would have been moved then. So they kept him, obviously. He didn't play a whole lot, set out the like last couple of weeks of the season, obviously just trying to stay healthy. He's probably looking for a chance to go somewhere where he can actually make an impact. What kind of trade do you think the Pacers could find for Malcolm Brogdon here in this upcoming draft? 
Yeah. So with Brogdon, I've been thinking just based off what we've seen the last couple of years, he's a definitely a, a for sure plus contributor when he's on the court, but the off the court issues, as far as injuries, that really, I think, concerns some teams around the league and why his price might be lower than we all expect. But I do believe the Pacers do get a first round pick from Malcolm Brogdon this year. If they want to do that, I could see a scenario, let's say like the Knicks at number 11, where I don't see him trading 11 straight up. But if you take back, let's say some of their bad contracts, like an Evan Fournier and Nerlens Noel, for Malcolm Brogdon and you get 11 in return for that. I could easily see that going down for the Pacers who want to be aggressive this year's draft. You keep hearing Indiana as one of the more aggressive teams as far as talks right now around the NBA. So I could certainly see that happening there for Malcolm Brogdon. Like you mentioned, the Kings scenario, I think could happen there for sure for a win now team where you could flip Brogdon in six to go up to four to get like a Jaden Ivey, for example, in that scenario. I could see that happening. And then also some other teams, like let's say the Lakers, if you want to get involved there, if, if the Pacers want to get in there on Russell Westbrook, which I can't see happening. No, at all. let's not start even go down this path. <laughs> no, it, no, it makes no sense at all. Like it makes no sense for the Pacers side of things to do that because I've seen a lot of Lakers fans that I mentioned saying, oh, it's Brogdon and heel, but I, I can't see Indiana coming close to doing that. So that's not an option there. And then maybe you see other teams like Atlanta who need other ball handlers or Memphis, for example. Maybe you can get like a late first round pick for them. But the more I look into Brogdon's value, I probably see like some expiring contracts, maybe in a first round pick with the pick probably being the main asset you get back there. Because I think the Pacers, I think it's a for sure at this point, I'd say it's like a 99% for sure, in my opinion, they trade Brogdon on draft night to accrue more draft value to try to get aggressive and move up the board a little bit. Yeah, I said it before, but if there was one word that you could take away from Kevin Pritchard's press conference recently, it was aggressive. So at this point, you feel that the Pacers have to be calling up just about every team. But to mention your point about the Lakers, man, Lakers fans are hysterical. I mean, I have seen some crazy mock trades sending Russell Westbrook to the Pacers. I have no interest in any of them. But overall, I'm always curious to just kind of gauge the value of, uh, you know, Malcolm Brogdon outside of the fan base. I know you mentioned some of the some of the trade potentials, but how is Brogdon viewed as a player, you know, outside of Pacer Nation? Because I think we've just kind of soured on him a little bit. Yeah, and for good reason. I mean, just based off what we've seen with Brogdon, he should have been out there in more games. I think it was more so as like a business decision on his end not to play in some of those games where the Pacers were pretty much out of it. So I could see why they soured him a little bit from the fan perspective. But from around the league, Brogdon is a, for sure a reliable guy who can, if you add into your team, He's a starter right away. He can give you good value and really pay off that contract if he stays healthy. But healthy is the big part there, which is why I think he might have devalued himself a little bit entering into this period where the Pacers, I think, will trade him. So I'll, we'll have to see what happens there. I think the hope is they get a first-round pick, but I would not be shocked at all. Let's say it's like a high second-round pick or a late first-round pick plus like a salary to make it more interesting. But I think just Indiana, whatever value they can get for Brogdon at this point, they're going to do it, whether it's Duarte or someone else, like a Mather in there, alongside Tyrese Halliburton or all three of them there's just no room for a guy like Brogdon anymore and if you can get any sort of value for him you gotta do it yeah I mean you brought up the Kings and you talked about maybe Brogdon and six for four it's like that just seems to me like I get you're gonna probably get Ivy at that point if that's really what you want then then it makes a lot of sense but uh, there's always a possibility that Ivy could fall to six not saying it's gonna likely happen but there's a possibility that it could uh, depending on what the Pistons do if they love Keegan Murray if somebody you know, steps in at four and takes somebody that's kind of a surprise or maybe a Shaden Sharp goes at four, somebody falls in love with him. I'm just, I'm just thinking outside the box here. So what would it take for the Pacers to keep pick six, but potentially move up into top four? Because I know that uh, I think it was Evan Massey. I don't even like to acknowledge when he puts out trade rumors because none of them are ever true, yeah. but in terms of just having a discussion about it, uh, 
if the Pacers were going to trade Brogdon for the fourth pick, obviously they're going to have to give up other stuff with that. Would it be a Chris Duarte? Would it be, you know, the, the 31st pick they have in this draft from Houston? Would it be the cast pick that they have? Could it be future picks that they have of their own? I mean, I think if you really like Ivy and you want Keegan Murray potentially or, or something else, this is a scenario you could look at and say, hey, Brogdon plus whatever we have to to move the four if the Kings are that interested in adding Brogdon to the roster. Because I think Brogdon actually could make a lot of sense next to Fox. But at the same time, it's just weird to see the same two teams make multiple trades together. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I think the framework there, you you could be on the money a little bit as far as if you want to get more aggressive and you feel like there's other teams that are chasing after that fourth pick and Sacramento wants to get more value. I could see that happening. Maybe you throw in like a Duarte, for example, because I mean – if you add in a Jaden Ivey, I think Chris Duarte is locked in as your long-term sixth man in Indiana. And I don't know if that's the outcome they want to see. I don't think he could play long-term as your three. So I, I do wonder about Duarte if they do go for a guy like a Sharp or an Ivy at six or if they trade up in this year's draft. But I think you could maybe see something with Sacramento happening there. Maybe you give Duarte there, but you'd have to get at least a Cleveland pick next year, probably your own pick in next year's draft as well. Probably another future pick on top of that, just because – the value there with giving up, not giving up six to move all the way up the board from 31 to four, it's going to cost you an arm and a leg and then some. It's going to cost you Duarte, probably one of your young guys in multiple picks, I imagine, to make that happen. Man, that is, it, it would definitely take a boatload of picks. So for that, it, it's intriguing, but you don't want to sacrifice maybe the, the whole future. But at the same point, man, it's intriguing having four and six in a draft like this could really, you know, propel you for the next few years. But that also brings me to my next question of when it's all said and done, who do you see as the best player in this draft? Because I think if you ask a few people, they'd have a few different answers. Yeah, that's a really good question. I've been waffling back and forth on that. I thought Chet Holmgren, but just based off of his frame, I just doubt that he's going to be able to build much off his frame. He's going to be, I think, a strong player in the NBA, but I don't know if his ceiling is like superstar worthy, so it's not him. So I'd probably lean more towards Jabari Smith. I think he could be a superstar in the league, like a Jason Tatum type, 25-plus point-per-game scorer when he reaches his ceiling. So I'd probably go Jabari Smith there. Paulo Bancaro right behind him. And then honestly, I put Jaden Ivey at three. I'm very high on Ivy. I think at the pace to get his hands on, on him, I think he could be a superstar, changes the whole franchise around. And then I think he's a guy that's like in a job rank kind of tier for me. He could really instantly come in and change a franchise. And I hope for the Pacers' sake, he is not good at Detroit because him and Cade Cunningham in the same division for 10 plus years, that is not fun to think about. Yeah, no, not at all. And I'd rather him go to the Kings, to be honest with you, have four uh, than go to the Pistons. And I, and I will say this too, like, Paulo Boncaro is number one guy on my board. I really like him, but I really hate how the draft lottery fell and that he could potentially be going to Houston. I hate that fit for him. I don't like what Houston's doing right now. I, I don't trust Houston right now, and I feel like he's gonna have uh, he's gonna have a fun time playing with Kevin Porter Jr. and uh, Jalen Green. I just don't think he's gonna really enjoy it. I don't think it really fits him the most. But um, that's the most likely scenario. But let me ask you this as we wrap this up. Um, not who do you think is the best player, but who do you think if you were to be asked today, the Pacers take with the six overall pick in this draft, who would it be? I'm going to go with the safer pick, which is Keegan Murray. 
I do want to say Ben Matherin, but I think Keegan Murray is a guy we've heard from Bob Crowd already from the athletic and Matt Babcock as well, basketball news he mentioned as well in his story that the Pacers do like Keegan Murray. So that's the buzz around league circles right now. I think that's we know the Pacers can talk a little bit in league circles too. They're pretty chattery. So I could I think that's for sure has legs about it with Keegan Murray. So I think Keegan Murray's my pick right now at six, but then I'd probably go Ben Matherin and then trading up for Jaden Ivey if possible. But I think honestly. I won't be stunned at all. If I make a prediction right now, a bold prediction, I think the Pacers have two lottery picks. I, w- I think they end Ooh. up trading. I think they end up trading Miles Turner to Charlotte and taking on Gordon Hayward's contract for number 13. Hey, there has been rumblings for that. <laughs> yeah. And I and Pacer Nation for quite some time. It wouldn't be a Pacers podcast if, if Gordon Hayward to the Pacers didn't get brought up. Kind of like a monthly tradition. Uh, weekly almost at this yeah, point. Yeah, I'd say I'd, at this point it will be <laughs> with all the trade rumors going around. But it's it's hard to avoid that type of connection and rumors. But either way, regardless, I love a move to acquire another lottery pick, whether it's 11 from the Knicks, whether it's 13 from Charlotte, you know, whatever it may be. And OKC is also picking at 12. You never know. I mean, there are a few different options here, and I'm very intrigued. But for now, a ton of speculation. Yeah, and honestly, before we wrap up, I mean, I just want to remind Pacers fans, this is probably going to be one of the most entertaining, intriguing offseasons in probably your lifetime if you're listening to this. Like, they control – I've been telling people at basketballnews.com who don't follow the Pacers as much like I do, but this team controls a lot of cards around the league, folks. Like, they they really do. They have a lot of assets. They have a lot of good players. They can get back in trade talks. They're going to be one of the most active teams on on draft night. I'm for sure going to put the over under, like, two and a half trades. The Pacers make on draft night. They're, I think they're going to make a lot of moves, wheeling and dealing. And Kevin Pritchard mentioning 06 is, I, I think, is not a coincidence there. I think he yeah. for sure knows how important this draft is, how important this offseason is to reshape this roster because this is it. This is Kevin Pritchard's final attempt with this team. I think if it, if it falls flat on its face within the next two years, he's gone. So I think we see this rebuild going to full effect here. I think they trade off a lot of these veterans like a Buddy Heald, a Miles Turner, a Malcolm Brogdon. They go complete rebuild here. They embrace this young core and see what happens there. Because for small market teams like Indiana and Phoenix was the exact same way. And that's why I preach this to other people around the league now. It's why you should do the Phoenix route. Embrace the tank for two or three years. I know it's not going to be fun, but the opportunity cost on the other side of it for a small market team is a lot greater than trying to convince a starter coming free agency. Because that's a, just an impossible scenario. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a great point. And I will say this too. Like, I know a lot of people are like, well, we got to trade it for Ivy. It's like, look. There's other trade scenarios here, too. Like, if Keegan Murray falls to the Pacers at six, they'd obviously be happy about that. I know fans would probably want somebody else more upside. But if you're able to flip Brogdon and get back into that top ten, potentially, um, I think the Pelicans are a team to keep an eye on as well at eight. If they could add Brogdon to their starting point guard mix with C.J. McCollum, with Brandon Ingram, with Zion, with Valanciunas. I mean, you're talking about a really good playoff team right there. So could they be willing to, to – part or you know part ways with their number eight and maybe take the Cavs pick and the pick 31 from the Rockets and, and try to go a different route there I mean then you could say hey maybe we walk away with Ben Matherin and Keegan Murray which would, would really entice a lot of Pacer fans I mean if you're talking Sharp Ivy uh, Sharp Ivy Murray uh, and uh, and Matherin if you can walk away with two of those four guys I mean this is a slam dunk if you're if you're asking me in terms of uh, hitting on this draft. So I'm, I'm really enticed to see what they do. Uh, the Turner stuff is always going to be interesting because I know there's a lot of talk out there that, oh, they want to keep him. Oh, they like to move him. It's just like you, you never really know with Miles Turner. But at the end of the day, I, I think Pacer fans, like you said, Evan, should just be completely excited to, to see what's ahead of them because 
they're not sitting on their hands like they did the last couple of off seasons. They're going to make some serious moves here. Yeah, this I, I want to also let Pacers fans know, like with this this team, unless they do go out and get like a DeAndre, for example, this team is not going to be good again next year. They they might get like. 30 wins if Halliburton takes a big leap forward and then their draft pick really hits right away. But I could see his team being again, a top pick in the 2023 draft. And if you get another top pick in next year's draft, you really have three or four foundational pieces at, at that point to take a huge leap forward in 2023, 24. So embrace it. Just be patient. I know Pacers fans are not used to this being in the playoffs for so long, but that rebuild was getting stagnant with that core they had. I think it was the right move to make when they did it uh, back in December, letting it be known that they were going to be trading all these guys. I think they keep trading guys. And I think this Pacers team and Pacers fans, I think they're going to be seeing a very active offseason, like you mentioned, Alex, for sure. Very excited for it. It was long overdue, but yes, one more year potentially tanking could set this team up for, hey, potentially decades. So, you know, Evan, as we wrap up, I definitely want to thank you for coming on the show and tell everybody where they could find you on social media and some of the awesome stuff that you're putting out. I really appreciate it, guys. I really enjoy listening to you guys as well. I have a chance to. And you guys can follow me on Twitter if you haven't already, at Eastsidery, at E-S-I-D-E-R-Y. Go ahead and follow us at basketballnews.com as well. We cover the whole NBA, college basketball, whatever you think about basketball. We cover it over at basketballnews.com. So if you haven't already, go ahead and check us out. And, again, I really appreciate it, guys. This is a lot of fun. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, Fachi, a lot of stuff there that we unpacked today. Went down the draft. We went down Brogdon stuff. We also went down the DeAndre Aiden stuff. To wrap it all up, what are your thoughts? Man, uh, I'm very intrigued, but I, I got to admit, when everyone said, call me crazy, but, hey, you acquired DeAndre Aiden, you could be a top 10 seed going for the playing game. I, I thought to myself, my God, it shouldn't take the richest contract in Pacers history just to be competing for a playing spot. But I just I know that the Pacers are in a spot right now where they need a lot of work, and a player like Aiton's upside is very intriguing. But if it's going to cost you, you know, say Duarte, Turner, another player, maybe maybe a pick, and then the right to pay him one hundred and thirty million dollars for center, that his three point shooting is not there yet. It's a lot. It's scary. It's it's kind of the one position you don't want to invest a lot of money in unless they're like. The Jokic's are, are, are the beads of the NBA. So I'm very torn. Yeah, I'm swinging on the upset here. I, I'm pretty vocal about it on social media. I, I think going for eight makes a ton of sense. And look, Evan said we might be a playing game next year. Like, okay, that's Maybe fine. Next year. Yeah. That's fine, but I'm not worried about next year, okay? Either am I. I'm, I'm using my six overall pick to give me another guy to go with this core. Let him get one year under his belt. He'll come around for year two. Hopefully Isaiah Jackson will be in year three. He'll be developed by then. You still have O'Shea Brissett, hopefully, on the roster at that point. And there's going to be other moves that are made. You still got the Brogdon stuff. You still got Buddy Hilt stuff. I think if you get Aiden by himself for one of the packages we talked about, which was like Turner McConnell and Duarte, to me it's worth it. I know that it's a very tough spot to be in, but I'm just swinging on the upside, Fachi. I think at 23 years old, DeAndre Ayton has a bright, bright, bright future ahead of him. I'm not worried about the potential uh, uh, of him, you know, not working out. I think he's proven enough to us. Like, he's a more proven player in today's NBA than whoever we drafted six. So, you know, you're getting that proven player to come here. And if he gets a bigger role that he wants, I, I think that will only help him. It, it, to me, it kind of feels similar to, you know, when we traded for Jermaine O'Neal, 
obviously Ooh, he didn't have the same he didn't have the same role in, in Portland that uh Aiton has in Phoenix but you know just a guy that was hungry to get more touches a guy that wanted to showcase himself as being more than just this third or fourth option on the team right I think you say hey we got a pass first point guard in Tyrese Halliburton that'll set you up he'll get his buckets and I think the big thing here Faji while I asked Evan this and he brought it up he said I think that Aiton can guard the perimeter pretty well if he struggles at all, you know, a guy that can guard the perimeter as a big man is Isaiah Jackson. I, yes, I think, I think having Isaiah Jackson as that backup five and potentially someone that could play the four along next to him really makes this more enticing to me. And I get why fans would be like, well, then don't offer him the max. If you think Isaiah Jackson can be that good. And it's not that I think he'd be that good. I think that he can give you that ability to play a different style. Because when you're going up against the, the NB type of players, I don't think Isaiah Jackson can hold his own. No. But I think DeAndre Ayton can. Same with a Giannis, that kind of stuff. So that's where I'm at. I just think it gives you more of, of a chance here to be diverse with these two players. The upside of the Pacers team, like the ceiling definitely rises if you bring on DeAndre Raise the Ayton. roof. Raise exactly. the roof. Exactly. Raise the roof, especially, you know, if, hey, Turner has one year left on his deal. Brogdon, we're already looking to move on from. Duarte, look, yes, our heart tells us, hey, I love Duarte, but, you know, he is already 25 years old. Like, look, you know, he's a good player. I would like to keep him, but I don't think that that's going to stop a deal from getting done if we're at the finish line. But one thing that scares me is that motor, if he's going to buy into the max or not. And when I don't mean buy into the max contract, I mean buy into giving it everything you got. Because make no mistake, if the Pacers are going to land DeAndre Eaton, it's going to be nothing short of a max contract. Oh, it's going to be a max. There's no doubt about it. So no doubt, not a penny less. And I, and I really do believe in what I said about the, the contract situation. Like, look, you're offering him a max, but you're paying Tyrese Halliburton two more years on his rookie deal. If Duarte is not traded three more years on his, same with Isaiah Jackson, you get this rookie at the six overall pick, you're paying him that rookie contract for four years. You don't really have to worry about going into the luxury tax or, or having multiple, multiple players with these max deals. Like, look, eventually you're going to have to pay Tyrese Halliburton. So now you got Halliburton and DeAndre Ayton makes, making some serious money. But, you know, I don't I don't see Duarte making as near as much money as a Tyrese Halliburton, same with Isaiah Jackson, uh, nor do I, you know, then you still have the rookie on that, on that rookie scale deal. So to me, that's why it does make a lot of sense because of the timeline of the Pacers and where they're at. They've got incredible, uh, they got an incredible front office, Pacers do when it comes to, knowing those numbers and crunching those numbers because Herb Simon don't want to pay the tax. And if they're going to be a playing team, they're not going to do it. But I think they would still be willing to take on a, a big contract like this because what did he say would be the most? 137 for four years, something yep. like that. Mm -hmm. So that's about 34.25 million a year. I mean, that's about what Tobias Harris is making right now. Come on now. I'd rather have DeAndre Ayton at 23 years old than Tobias Harris for 34 plus million. Oh, no doubt. I don't think anyone loves that Tobias Harris contract. But, yeah, absolutely the upside of DeAndre Ayton, a former number one pick who's 23 years old. I think it is, you know, through the roof. It's the potential to raise the roof, just like you said. So <laughs> you got to take a swing on it. I think that, that this would be just a major move for the Pacers that would show to people, hey, this team's actually serious about yeah. contending again. And uh, maybe that's a message that you do have to send to the fan base. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about it, Pachi. Well, we've talked a lot about DeAndre. We've talked a lot about this uh, upcoming draft and stuff like that for today's episode. But 
have no fear. Our next episode, we'll be having O'Shea for a set on the podcast. So hope you guys are looking forward to that one. Hope you guys enjoyed this one with Fachi. Let the people know where they can find us on social media. Absolutely. So you can find us on Twitter at SendingThePace3. You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You can find us on Facebook at SendingThePace. You can find us on TikTok at SendingThePace. And if you're slowly but surely jumping on the Benedict Matherin train, stay Western Brothers. Let's go Pacers! This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.